welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zaffaro, and this is a feature episode with Sam Weeb. Now, it's a bit of an odd time in the world right now. I'm recording this about a week after I left for Left Coast Crime, and that and that was quickly canceled after just one day. Like a lot of people, I am social distancing by staying at home. I hope that all of you are doing the same, uh, and I hope you're remaining calm because uh, this will pass and uh, everything will get back to normal. Now we're going to get to the conversation I had with Sam Weeb, who is a Vancouver-based noir author, a really nice guy, and uh, has had some success recently, uh, some nominations for a very prestigious award. I'll let him tell you about it. Uh, but first, I want to remind you that Wrong Place Right Crime is sponsored by Down and Out Books. Now, normally Down and Out Books is here to uh, speak in person. Usually it's Lance about uh, their books coming up in March, uh, but that's been delayed this month. You'll get that in a future episode of Wrong Place Right Crime. But meanwhile, I'll just remind you that Down Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If you're listening to this show, I'm guessing you like that kind of stuff. Uh, so head over to downandoutbooks.com. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, .com, where you will find just a whole slew of authors, many of which I got to see at Left Coast Crime. And uh, you can you can fill your social distancing time with some uh, good good dark fiction, good dark crime fiction. And now for the reason that you're here, let's talk to Sam Weeb. Well, hey, Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Frank. So I am speaking to you from uh, Overcast Central Oregon, and you, I believe, are speaking to me from most likely Overcast Vancouver, British Columbia. You know, it's actually snowing here. Hmm. Uh, did Like two millimeters or how much? <laughs> Well, last last week we got a significant amount, um, but today it's, I mean, it looks like a couple of, uh, about an inch so far. I don't know. I'm Canadian. Inches, millimeters, uh, <laughs> mixed up in my head. Um, but I don't know if it's going to stick, but um, it's rare for this part of Canada to have snow at this time. Mm -hmm. Vancouver is essentially the Seattle of Canada when it comes to weather. It's true. Uh, it has a, a very unique character. It's not a cookie cutter city by any means. No, it's it, it's so hard to describe this. Um, I think that Seattle is a good comparison. I think that Edinburgh is a good comparison in that um, it's a tourist city and it's beautiful and there are you know lots of great places to take your family and things like that. But beneath that, there are some really serious uh, social issues. Well, now you you described in one of your uh, newsletters. I do I do subscribe to your newsletter, and, and it, it looks like it's about a quarterly affair or thereabouts. Uh, yeah, bi-monthly, quarterly. Okay. It's okay. it's whenever I can get the time to, uh, to to get it together. Well, I I think it was there that I read uh, you saying that you have a complicated relationship with Vancouver and, and crime fiction, for that matter. Uh, is my memory serving correctly? Yeah. What did you mean by that? Well, I, I was born in Vancouver. Most of the people that live here are transplants from uh, Eastern Canada or, you know, other parts. Um, so there aren't a whole lot of people born here. And uh, it, it has changed immensely in the, you know, almost 38 years that, uh, 
that have been here. Real estate has skyrocketed. I mean, it's now, I think, the most expensive city to live in in North America. Mm-hmm. It has uh, always had issues around uh, drugs. I mean, it's a, a drug port. Um, but, you know, issues with, uh, you know, injection drugs and, um, uh, you know, the sort of uh, hy- hygiene issues that come with that have, you know, always been really prevalent. And then recently with, um, you know, with with overdoses and the, the crisis around that. So it's it's a very uh, it's a, it's very fraught for me. It's getting tough to live here financially, but it's also, um, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to see that they're you know, we still haven't dealt with a lot of those issues around drugs, around the sex trade, you know, just um, things like that. You know, the reason I spent uh, some of the time I spent in Vancouver was uh, I was I was teaching in, in the law enforcement realm. And, you know, Vancouver is unique uh, in that there's about a two block, three block section uh, out on the fringes of downtown where a ton of activity, let's say, is localized, uh, where you know needle exchanges occur, but also open air drug markets and, and everything. It's very, very localized. I mean, it, it's not sprawling or underground like it is in a lot of cities. Um, is I guess my first question is, is that still going on? I mean, my information is about three or four years old. And secondly, does that feel unique to you or as a resident there, is that just kind of always the way it's been? I mean, first of all, that area is called, uh, you know, the downtown east side. And um, yeah, it's it's still there and it's, it's always been there. Um, I, I think in some ways it gets a really bad rap because yes, there's a lot of uh, open drug uh, commerce in that area. It's also, uh, at one time it was... Van- um, Canada's poorest postal code. So there's a lot of very low-income people. Um, th- there's also a point in the the early 90s when um, one of the local psychiatric hospitals closed and uh, a lot of people who needed help kind of ended up in that area. So, mm-hmm. you know, to, to outsiders, it can be a little scary. I have never had a problem walking through there. It's not scary to me. Uh, the people are pretty, pretty cool. And... Um, there is a real community movement there that, um, you know, they, they really look after their own. But I, I don't know what your experiences were like as a police uh, consultant um, and, and how you would view that. We went down there because it was a curiosity uh, to a degree. Um, you know, I, I came from uh, from Spokane, uh, but interestingly enough, we had somewhat of the same phenomenon in the uh, early to mid nineties with the crack cocaine trade, it was very localized in about a two block area. And much like what you've got there, uh, uh, though not as, as diverse in terms of the different types of things that are going on. Uh, there's a big movement to get rid of the block as they called it. And they did some special enforcement projects and did get rid of the block. They completely drove crime out of that area. But the interesting part to me was the side effect, which is that it drove the the crack trade underground and it became it made it worse because then then it was impossible to even put a dent into it. You know, at least at least if it was all in one place, you could kind of mitigate the impact on the entirety of the community. But once it, it went underground and was 
be, the trade was being plied in, in houses and you know all over the city instead of in one place it just became impossible to to have the same impact on and keep it mitigated and so when when the cops in Vancouver that I interacted with were you know saying that they just wanted to go through and bulldoze the whole area or, or clean it up or, or 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 whatever I cautioned against that <laughs> I said you, you might be in a you know you might be in a better position where at least you know where the majority of this is going on it's localized it's mitigated and and now the people who want to provide services to those folks that are engaged in that behavior also know where to go people who need help are accessible you know but it isn't a very common thing i mean it is unique in in that it that vancouver is a large city has that uh, going on um but it has to be something intriguing from a, a a writer's point of view i would think well absolutely i mean i think it's um i know that it can be startling for people who don't live here to see um the same way that you know when i went to amsterdam and you walk through the red light district it's just very startling to see you know, like a woman standing in the, the window of a business. Um, but it's, uh, you, you know, it's like you said, there are a lot of benefits to having a place where you actually deal with those things in plain sight. You know, one, one of the best uh, projects is the Insight, uh, like the Safe Injection Site uh, program. And um, I mean, I think that was the first safe and safe legalized injection site in North America. And um you know, when you think about uh, the amount of uh, health issues surrounding injection drugs, I mean, having somewhere that people can go and and use that safely, I mean, it's it's a huge benefit. And if it mm-hmm. uh, pisses off the squares like you and I, I mean, that's you know, that's a small price to pay for saving someone's life. Yeah, and I guess we're 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 somewhat splintering off into social commentary rather than crime fiction here, but uh, I. I you know, it's such a sprawling topic. It's not just about, you know, should somebody be allowed to take a certain drug or not? I mean, there's so many side effects to certain behaviors and, and then, uh, you know, you, you, you just kind of have to take it, I guess, in a more holistic approach when you, when you try to solve the problems and having a safe site like that is very forward thinking when it, when, when it was first done. And now of course it's, it's not uncommon for those types of sites, uh, you know, throughout your country and mine. Have your characters and your stories and and novels uh, been there and done things there? Has it been a, a setting you've used? Oh, absolutely. Um, especially uh, Invisible Dead and Last of the Independence. Both um, parts of both of those books took place uh, down there. Um, you know, it's really important to show like that that place is integrated into the rest of the city and that, Mm -hmm. you know, what happens there affects other places and vice versa. So, Mm -hmm. you know, as an example, um, in, in my latest novel, cut you down, Dave Wakeland has an office there and it's the old office that he's used for, uh, you know, when he just started as a private investigator and it's about to be torn down and destroyed. Um, he actually works in a very successful private investigation firm, but something kind of draws him back to that neighborhood. And, um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time down there. It's, it's about 10 minutes, uh, you know, from my, my home and, uh, you know, humanizing some of the people that, that live and work there and, uh, you know, showing how that's connected to the rest of the city are really important to me. Mm -hmm. 
It is, you, you mentioned uh, uh, that it can be jarring. I think the, the, in my experience, the part that was the most jarring actually wasn't what was going on. It wasn't shocking. It wasn't, uh, you know, human behavior I haven't seen before. It wasn't, you know, uh, you know, being, you know, people weren't acting with blatant disregard for others. It was, it was rather benign for the most part. Um, but the shocking part or the, the, the part that struck me was just how it's almost like, you know, you're on one block and then here's a, you know, high end, you know, furniture store or something like that. And then, you know, literally a hundred meters away, that downtown east side section that we're talking about begins. And then it is almost like a border where it ends. And then you get these, you know, gentrified businesses on the other side of it too. And that, that transition, at least driving when I drove past it in, in, in a car for sure uh, was, was very jarring. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, like you said, I mean, it, it starts and stops very abruptly, but mm-hmm. um, actually a lot of that, um, you know, a lot of that drug trade and stuff has moved out to the suburbs just because of the affordability. You know, there, there just aren't a lot of places to live down there anymore hmm. uh, that you uh, you know, that, that a, a person could afford. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of spreading a, a bit, but, um, you know, it's, I, I think there's definitely kind of an interest in keeping like the financial district clear of, of certain activities and uh, residential areas clear of certain activities. But um, like I said, I've never really had much of a problem with, mm-hmm. uh, with going through there. I used to go there as a teen for um, like when I was playing drums, I used to go to all the pawn shops before eBay kind of, killed those and um, <laughs> they all used to be on that street of Hastings. Uh-huh. So yeah. I, I actually like, <laughs> I kind of miss it. <laughs> well, I think it's telling that you have spent time down there and that you, you know, that that goes back in your life a bit because, you know, some writers, um, their characters are, are, are very much the focus of, of their style. Uh, but not every writer the, the the setting isn't necessarily a huge part of their work uh but you have most definitely it seems uh you know embraced the vancouverness of your background and it is you know your your work is suffused with with that setting um and you know i i mean i have to think that was very purposeful oh yeah i mean i I started writing about Vancouver because it's the place that I know the best. I mean, I've, I've spent time in Seattle and, you know, the suburbs and stuff, but, uh, but I know, I know Vancouver well enough to write comfortably about it. So that, that's why I started. But, um, you know, it, very quickly, it just became something that was important to the books themselves and kind of, you know, just chronicling what's going on here. Um, mm-hmm. Cut You Down starts with a, uh, a paragraph about the forest fires that were going on and um you know not in the actual city but uh around it and uh you know every summer now for the last couple of years there's just been this cloud of uh you know smoke kind of hanging mm-hmm. over things and um i mean it's a great kind of apocalyptic image but it also kind of says a lot about uh you know what it's like to live through that so as the as the characters like as Wakeland uh, you know grows and changes, the city is kind of growing and changing, and his relationship to it changes, and uh, it, it's all very connected to me. Well, and crime fiction has always really presented a very good opportunity to explore the human experience. You know, 
along with say science fiction and there just seems to be people seem to be more willing to you know explore that with the author and 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 setting what's going on in a city is is a great part of that experience yeah there's that great quote by uh dennis lehane that the you know like the social novel of the the 1800s and early 1900s didn't die out it just turned into crime fiction and that writers him and walter mosley and sarah paretsky i mean they they've always just sort of dealt with uh you know real places real human issues through the lens of crime fiction Uh, you gathered some folks who are interested in depicting that together in a in an anthology that you edited vancouver noir yeah what was that experience like oh it was so great (laughs) i um it's the first time i've ever edited uh anything so um and, and, you know, I was a fan of that Akashic uh, City Noir series going back to, uh, you know, Boston Noir. Um, a friend of mine had put together the Montreal Noir collection. And um, uh, he put me in touch with the people at Akashic and I pitched them uh, a Vancouver Noir uh, installment. And, uh, you know, what they look for in, a, in a, an editor is someone that can bring together people from different groups. So, you know, the literary and the genre elements, different neighborhoods, different backgrounds. And, and I was just, I feel very fortunate to be able to put that together. And the, mm-hmm. you know, the anthology is, um, it's one of the things I'm most proud of. The, the writers in there um, have actually gone on in the last couple of years to become much better known and uh, really successful. People like Sheena Kamal and, uh, Nathan Ripley, um, Timothy Taylor, Carly Baker, they're all kind of, um, uh, you know, exploding. And I I wish I could take all the credit for that, but um, they were just good writers who knew Vancouver, and that's why I approached them. Uh, We'll get back to our interview with Sam Weeb in just a moment, but this is the time on the show where I like to turn things over to the experts. And by experts, I mean other authors, uh, most of them former guests of the show, uh, who are here to tell you what kind of books you might want to check out, uh, good ones that they enjoy. So we're going to hear from uh, five different authors, uh, Kathy Ace, Deb Kuntz, Lori Raider Day, Sean A. Cosby, and Big Daddy Thug himself, Todd Robinson. Take it away, folks. This is Kathy Ace here, author of the Kate Morgan Mysteries, the Wise Inquiries Agency Mysteries, and um, oh, a little Welsh girl who lives in Canada now. Nice to meet you. Well, having the chance to recommend one book for anyone to read is really, really difficult. So I gave it a lot of thought, and I came up with the first book written by Martina Cole, Dangerous Lady. Now it came back. It came out all the way back in 1992. And when I read it, I read it when it came out, it was a sort of a world-changing experience for me. I happen to love tales about London, gangland, and families involved in crime. And this was the first book that I'd read that did it really well. The other thing is, it's got a female leading lady who is not necessarily a heroine, but is certainly someone who's very interesting. So Dangerous Lady by Martina Cole. 
any of the Martina Cole books are good, but that first one is a real cracker. Fabulous. Hey, my name is Deborah Kuntz, and I am the author of the Lucky O'Toole Vegas Adventure series, a light romantic mystery series. And I'd like to recommend one of my favorite books from a few years ago. It's a book called The 13th Tale by Diane Setterfield. I believe that it was a debut novel and it just knocked me off my feet. So check it out. Hi, this is Laurie Rader Day. I'm the author of The Lucky One. Uh, and I'd like to recommend a book called Do Not Go On by Brian Farunas. He's an Indiana author, and so am I. Um, this is a book about a teenager who's been placed in um, witness protection with her family, and she just doesn't go quietly. It's a great book. Uh, uh, this is Sean Cosby, author of uh, My Darkest Prayer and the forthcoming Blacktop Wasteland. For anybody who, who loves Southern crime fiction but uh, wants to see a different perspective, I'd recommend uh, Cottonmouth by Kelly J. Ford. Uh, it's the story of a young uh, LGBTQ woman who returns home to her small Arkansas town and finds herself falling back in with the, uh, the girl who broke her heart when she was a teenager. So, uh, really great story, great crime story, but also a great human story. So, Cotton Mouse by Kelly J. Ford. Hey, this is Todd Robinson, author of The Hard Bounce and Rough Trade, the two books in the Boo and Junior series. And I, uh, I'm going to recommend to you a book that you've probably been hearing a lot of people talking about lately. It's called Blacktop Wasteland by Sean Cosby, S.E. Cosby on the cover. I'm lucky enough to know him as Sean as I published him in my magazine many, many years ago and know what an immense talent the man is. And uh, this is his second novel, and man, that talent has come home to roost. It is a fantastic, truthful honest character driven crime novel that's unlike anything else you're going to read this year finds ways to take some certain aspects of crime fiction that have become tropes over the years and makes us realize why we love them in the first place which isn't something that i've come across in a while and that's all i'm going to tell you about it because you should really buy it and if you don't that's on you that's not my fucking problem All right. Well, there you go. Some good reading to keep you very busy during this time. If you happen to be uh, holed up at the at your house in the midst of this coronavirus situation. Uh, now let's get back to our interview with Sam Weeb. I first met you at uh, in Vancouver at the Left Coast Crime. Uh, last year 2019 and i think the first time i actually heard you speaking was at the noir at the bar at that event oh yeah that was awesome yeah it was cool it was a huge room and there's a lot of people um listening i don't think i've 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 read for that many people before which uh which story did you read from oh i think it was from cut you down okay yeah it was it was it was cut you down 
Okay. Because it was very compelling. I hadn't, uh, had, have not read that. And so the scene that you read was very tight and very, uh, full of tension. Uh, and I think you, did you lead off? Were you the first reader? Yeah. Yeah. So so you, sometimes you put your best foot forward. What can I say? <laughs> you definitely let off well, uh, got, got things rolling. Uh, but I don't think that's the first time we've crossed paths. Actually. Um, I read in your bio that you have had a story in, uh, in Thuglet in the past. Oh yeah. Um, 20, 2013, 2014. It was when it was, um, uh, like a monthly or bi-monthly, um, uh, magazine. I'm amazed at how many people cross paths due to Todd Robinson, you know, big daddy thug himself. Yeah. That guy, um, you know, I, I don't know him well, but, uh, you know, what an, I, I mean, in, in addition to being a great writer himself, I mean, the, the junior and boo series is terrific, but, um, you know, what an eye for talent. And I don't just say that because he, one of my stories. I mean, <laughs> so many people that came through there have gone on to, uh, you know, great careers and, uh, you know, writing and film and TV. Um, it's, it's actually an astonishing list of, um, you know, like pretty much an entire generation got their start in Thuglet. I mean, I did. I, I, the first, uh, first time any of my work was, uh, in a, uh, large publisher's book and Kensington's press, uh, was when he did the the first uh, best of anthology uh, back in like two thousand and eight or nine somewhere in there and like yeah I'm amazed at how many people that's 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 the first connection I can I can make with someone because we were both Thuglid alumni yeah it's uh, it's not a name that uh, carries a lot of uh, of of glory up here in Canada oh and no <laughs> definitely when you're reading in some of these library rooms it's like Thuglid that's that sounds weird but. Um, you know, every, everyone who knows crime fiction knows Thuglet. Shifting gears, but not much. Uh, sticking with the short story theme, uh, in addition to editing Vancouver Noir, you contributed to a more recent anthology that Brian Thornton uh, edited uh, based on the songs of Steely Dan. Yeah, of all the things, um, Brian contacted me when he made the deal with Down and Up Press to uh, to put it together and uh, asked for a story. And um, I mean, it's you know, Brian is one of the great uh, champions of crime fiction in uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he was the MWA uh, uh, chapter president and uh, ju- just a just a great guy. So to see him put together this project that means so much to him. And have it be, you know, successful and Edgar nominated now is just, uh, it, it's awesome. And it's all due to his his hard work. You know, he really spearheaded that, got the cover that he wanted, um, you know, the, the lineup. And there's actually a second volume that just came out too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was very clear when he was on the podcast here that those are not volume one and volume two. They're just two separate projects of surrounding the same you know, theme, but, uh, die behind the wheel was the, uh, was the one that your story was in, uh, home at last. And you mentioned the Edgar award, but you were being a little bit humble because it's your story that got the nomination. Yeah. I mean, ca- you know, Canadians, a little bit humble is kind of just what we, <laughs> um, but yeah, my, my story home at last was, uh, was nominated, um, last week for an Edgar award, which came out of nowhere. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tremendous honor. I mean, there's, there's so many great writers, um, 
just in the short story category alone, I mean, Hector Acosta is up for uh, a short story he did in another uh, Down and Out uh, anthology. It's very strange because of all the projects that I've done, it was, you know, it, it's so clearly something that Brian put together um, and he should be, you know, co up for this. But that said, I will take it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, let let us talk about novels and TV a little bit. Sure. Um, so you've got a couple of Dave Wakeland novels. Um, which one was first? The Cut You Down was the second one, right? Yeah. Invisible Dead was the first and Cut You Down is the second. Uh, tell me about Dave Wakeland. Who is is he? Well, he's a young private investigator. He's a former boxer. You know, in, in many ways, I tried to create, you know, the millennial Philip Marlowe or the millennial <laughs> Lou Archer. You know, someone who's kind of, uh, you know, tapped into his time and place, but also a little bit out of that. And, um, you know, for Dave, I mean, the nice thing is that um, I created him as being fairly young. I mean, I think he's 29, 30 in the first book. And, you know, he's someone who's still kind of forming himself. So he's not a, a really jaded, uh, you know, cynical private, private eye like, um, like, like Marlo. He's a little bit more um, educable and a little bit less phased by, uh, by, by stuff that he sees. But um, he's also prone to making mistakes and, you know, misjudging things and following his heart when, uh, when he shouldn't. Um, you know, his best, uh, friend and partner, Jeff Chen is the, um, sort of the brains of their business, Wakelin and Chen investigations. And Jeff is much more, you know, he has a lot more business savvy and is much more of a people person. Dave is more of a, you know, a hit first and ask questions never kind of person. But, um, <laughs> you know, he's drawn into these cases where, uh, you know, there, there's something about the case that just compels him to keep pushing at it, even when it, you know, puts himself at risk. And there was some news that uh, there will be a third Dave Wakeland novel, but that that one is uh, indeterminate in terms of when it's coming out. Yeah, I mean, there have been a couple of short stories and different things. Um, the story I wrote for Vancouver Noir, which was nominated for an Arthur Award, um featured Wakeland and uh, Hollywood North, which is a free um, ebook uh, is another story that's available. Uh, the third novel is completed. The publishing, uh, the Wakeland series has a very weird publishing history because it was published in Canada and the U S by different publishers in different years. So uh, that whole thing is a mess. Please follow the Samweeb newsletter and I will update you when I can. Um, you know, it was, you know, they're, they're books that have found an audience and have obviously been, uh, you know, well-received critically and have been up for, I mean, Cut You Down was nominated for a Hammett Award uh, and a Seamus Award and all, all sorts of stuff. But, um, you know, they're not, they're not like Robert Ludlum books. They're not massive, successful a series that's just going to sell a billion copies out of the gate and then you kind of forget about it. I mean, they're, they're a little bit slower working and uh, I don't know what the publishing future holds, but I'm definitely not giving up on the series and I will, uh, you know, find a way to continue the character maybe through TV. I mean, the books have been optioned and 
me and my writing partner, Kelly Senecal, have uh, worked up a pitch and uh, pilot episode. So we'll, um, we'll also keep you updated on that. Well, uh, Wakeland isn't your only uh, your only PI character, though. You've got uh, you've got another series, or at least another uh, book, uh, Last of the Independents. Right. Yeah, that was a, a standalone book that I wrote first. Um, the main character in that, Michael Drayton, is um, he's uh, part of a group of kind of DIY detectives. Um, I, I was sort of thinking about like the you know, the, the straight edge punk movement and, you know, Henry Rollins and uh, Fugazi and all those groups and sort of thinking about like what a private eye would be like if he embodied that, that, that kind of uh, ethos. Um, and that was really the first, it was the first novel I ever published. I, I look at it a little bit as like a demo tape, although it's, um, uh, it, it's also found its audience over time. It won an award in 2012 for best unpublished manuscript, and then again as best first novel uh, in 2015. In fact, a Seamus, which is uh, you know a huge award, uh, and then an Arthur Ellis, which I is that a Canadian uh, only uh, award? I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it's an award given out by the Crime Writers of Canada, and it's okay. named after uh, Canada's last hangman or executioner. <laughs> oh, really. <laughs> Yeah, a, li- a little bit morbid, and the statue is a little guy with a noose around his neck, which is, uh, uh, you know, an interesting decorative choice for an apartment. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, the, it's a good group, and um, uh, you know, the, yeah, I, I, um, I, I've been nominated like four times for Arthur Ellis Awards, and uh, you know, to win for Last of the Independence was a huge, uh, you know, it was a huge boost and just a huge, uh, you know pat on the back and, and an acknowledgement that uh that you know my, my work meant something so when you write award-winning writer you're not uh you know talking about uh you know winning a raffle or something i mean it's it's a pretty meaningful award that you've you've been awarded yeah there have been a couple uh the kobo emerging writer prize was also a you know mm-hmm. a real uh, boost um mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the Edgar, too. I mean, this is just a great nomination. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think the Edgar, in all honesty, I, I think of it as the Oscars of of crime fiction. I mean, uh, there's a bunch of others that are huge. I think the Anthony's huge. I think the Lefty's huge. I think the the Seamus is huge. I mean, there's uh, and then for Canadian writers, it sounds like the Ellis Award is also huge. Um, but I, it, it just feels like the Edgar's the you know, first among equals at the very least and you know, kind of like the Oscars. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at the, um, I mean, I can only go from my own experience as a book buyer, but the books, the, you know, Ed, Edgar nominated and Edgar winning books tend to be things that I buy. Same with the Seamus. Like I just tend to like the books that those awards, uh, uh you know, tr- try to represent. And that doesn't mean that they're, you know, totally unbiased or fair or that the best book wins or anything like that. It just means that those are very good books. Really this, the nomination alone is, is, is a huge indicator of, of quality. It, it certainly feels good. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I bet. And, and again, like just came out of nowhere. I mean, when, uh, you know, when you have a book in the running or something, you're, you're kind of, uh, you know, more cognizant of awards dates and stuff, but, uh, yeah, that, that was not, uh, not something I was expecting at all. So just, um, I, I still haven't fully processed it. it it's an amazing <laughs> honor. 
So uh, you mentioned television, uh, that you have a, a, a pitch and you said a pilot for Dave Wakeland. Do you mean you've shot something or you've got a script or what does that mean exactly? Well, it means the book was optioned by um, a writer and director team, uh, Grant Harvey, the director, who's done you know every an episode of every crime TV show under the sun, um, especially here in Canada. And Ke- Kelly Senecal, um, Kelly and I have wrote the written the pilot script and a pitch document, so that's out to industry people right now. I'm very happy with it, and I think that it captures. Um, the spirit of the book but in a in a more television friendly way sort of the way that um you know like justified feels exactly like an elmore leonard story but it also feels like a tv show written by graham yost um that's a very pompous way of putting myself in the same category as elmore <laughs> leonard, but uh but uh, let's go with it um so so that is uh you know currently being sent out and i have no idea what will happen with it but um you know i'd, I'd obviously love to uh to see that go to you know go into production um i also have another uh optioned project called um sunset in jericho which is more of a, a police procedural and and you know and like a million things on the go like everyone else does well that's got to be i mean it used to be i think uh, for for me anyway the idea oh i wish they you know it would be so cool if if someone optioned one of my books for a movie um but the the more i see movies being uh or the more i see books being adapted into film uh, versus books being adapted into like short run Netflix, short run HBO, short run, you know, streaming. Uh, my, my writer's fantasy has shifted to that direction <laughs> thing because you can just, you know, explore the characters in the story so much more deeply in, in that type of a platform as opposed to, you know, an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it allows for a, an expansion of the the book rather than kind of, you know, contracting it and contorting it to fit into a two hour movie. Um, mm-hmm. I always feel like if you can if you can hold to the core of what the story is trying to do and what the characters are about, you know, you're you're going to be in good shape. Yeah. And I mean, you also have to look at it as a totally different uh, me- medium and certain things are just not going to work. Um mm-hmm. One of the series that I really like and that my girlfriend absolutely can't stand is the um, the Tom Selleck, Jesse Stone uh, made for TV movies. And, you know, the, the character is like 35 in the book. In the TV show, he looks 60-ish. Um, and, and, you know, is he portrayed as 60-ish or is he portrayed as 35 and just looks 60? Well, he's he's portrayed as Tom Selleck, which is, oh, okay. you know, its own thing. Um, <laughs> And, you know, like, they're very different than the books, but, um, you know, because you're, you're dealing with an older man who's kind of hit his last last stop before, uh, you know, total irrelevance. And, you know, the, the job has a different resonance to him. But, um, you know, I, I think that that's a really good adaptation. Like, it does capture some of the spirit of those, uh, those Robert B. Parker uh, books. The, it, it's always dicey. You never know. I mean, uh, I'm still torn on the uh, uh, Mel Gibson, uh, you know, Parker uh, uh, adaptation. You know, I like some things about it, and and then when I go back and read the Parker novels, I 
<laughs> then I don't know again if I liked it. You know what I mean? Yeah. The director's cut for that was really good, though. Closer, but... Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll have to check that out. I don't know that that's the one that I saw. Uh, but like I said, it's always... Uh, I mean, you look at... Uh, I think you you wrote an article about the uh, adaptation of uh, Lawrence Block's 8 Million Ways to Die that Jeff Bridges was in. Yes, and I called it uh, a fucking mess. And it is, <laughs> but it's interesting though, because Jeff Bridges is a fantastic actor. I mean, for decades, he's been in some great movies. Yeah. Uh, it's Hal Ashby who directed it and it was written by Oliver Stone. I mean, Oh my God. <laughs> it's actually a very talented group that, and you know, I think that that's one of the things with film is that like some, some casts or some teams just don't, don't gel. Uh, the, I mean, they they changed uh, Scudder to make him a uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's um, uh, deputy and uh, moved the whole thing to L.A. It's it just just doesn't have that early Lawrence Block novel feel to it. Mm-hmm. That kind of dark, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just missing something. But uh, well, just the move to L.A. alone, I think, was fatal. I mean, if yeah. you read if you read Block's work. Uh, much like we mentioned earlier, your you, you, the way Vancouver is just woven into your work, uh, you know, you can't separate Matt Scudder from from New York. I mean, you just absolutely cannot. No, I mean, it reminds me of that um, that adaptation of The Big Sleep that's set in London, and it's just you know from from the second it starts, you're just like, what is this? It's like a, I mean, you know, Robert Mitchum's a great actor, but it just doesn't have that that Raymond mm-hmm. Chandler feel. Speaking of Lawrence Block, uh, I imagine that having gone to some of these conferences, you might have had occasion to meet him. Yeah, I, um, I, I, sh- I should never try to meet my idols, but um, I, I bothered him at the last BoucherCon while he was sitting there, uh, you know, on his phone, and he was uh-huh. very nice. I mean, the, the uh-huh. first Seamus Awards I was at, I, you know, walked up to him and just said, like, you know, your books mean a lot to me, and uh, and he, you know, he he humored me. So um, <laughs> I had the same conversation at uh, VoucherCon down in St. Petersburg, uh, all of 25 seconds and a very important conversation to me and one that he forgot three seconds later. Yeah, but I mean, that is the beautiful thing about VoucherCon is you can meet, you know, Megan Abbott and read Farrell Coleman and all these, you know, these people that grew up reading who um, are way nicer than they have to be. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael Connolly was that way at uh, about that, that same VoucherCon. Before Sue Grafton died, I saw her at uh, BoucherCon in Long Beach, I think. And uh, I, I saw her after she was on a table signing books for like three hours. And part of me was like, you have to go up and tell her how much she means to you and how you grew up reading her books. And then the other part was like, just leave the poor lady alone. Let her have five <laughs> minutes to herself. And I, you know, I, I, I chickened out and did that. But uh, I, I kind of regret it. Yeah, she uh, she was one of the first uh, f- female series writers that uh, that I that I read, uh, and I liked Kinsey Milhon. I liked the fact that she was uh, she was tough, but not just a dude in in pumps. You know, I mean, she was definitely a woman, uh, but she approached things slightly differently, but uh, not to the exclusion of physicality when it was necessary. Yeah, those books, the the like the early Kinsey books are so great and. Uh... I mean, they're obviously, uh, you know, indebted to, you know, like the, the Lou Archer series, the Ross McDonald books, um, but they have a real quotidian 
element to them where you get the sense that this is her job. And that there's one of them that starts with Kinsey in her office and she takes a case because she doesn't want to sit and do her taxes. <laughs> and it's like the the funniest and most honest reason to take a case of like i'm fucking bored doing this give me something even if it's dangerous or, or weird and yeah. i just I, I love that element about her books like they always they always just had a a real human or, or humanist element to them well the wonderful thing about this business is that uh, you never know there may come a time when uh, you or i may become fortunate enough uh, to have some writer approach us at a conference and say hey i've really enjoyed your books and they've inspired me so it's democratic in that regard at least yeah yeah that's true and you know maybe they'll be like oh you touched my life oh wait you're not reed farrell coleman (laughs) uh yeah hey i really enjoyed your books mr william kent (laughs) kruger That thing of as they get closer, they sort of look at your, uh, your name tag. And then, I'm, I'm just going to cover mine up and sign whatever name they say. Take, take the emotional energy that I get. <laughs> well, I've really enjoyed talking with you today, uh, Sam. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into to more of your work. Uh, haven't been there in Vancouver. It'll be it'll be really fun to to see how you've portrayed the uh, the city. Uh, and I'm looking forward to catching up with you uh, at, a, at a conference sometime. Yeah, that all sounds great, Frank. Thanks so much for uh, for having me on. Well, there you are, folks. Uh, Sam Weeb in uh, one hour or less. Cool guy. Uh, I'm glad to see him getting some success. Uh, I hope that his uh, nomination results in a win. And um, I'm heading up to Vancouver for, uh, oh, you know, all things willing, right? Uh, in uh, May for a noir at the bar, uh, and uh, hope to bump into him there along with uh, Dietrich Kaltice, who's uh, the organizer for that event. Uh, next episode of Wrong Place or Right Crime, we're going to talk to Warren Moore, uh, who I bumped into at my very first BoucherCon in 2018 and shared a breakfast with. And uh, he, he's got some interesting. Uh, Let's just say there's some cognitive dissonance uh, when you find out all the things he's into. They 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 don't seem to be things that go together, uh, and yet he clearly loves all of them and uh, and, and makes them all work. Uh, so if you ever wondered what a uh, head banging professor of literature sounds like, you can check in next episode and hear from Warren. I had a great time talking to him, and he's a uh, he's a professor, so he's a, uh, so he's easy to listen to. Uh, I want to thank Sam for coming on the show, and I want to say thanks to Down and Out Books for being a great sponsor to all the authors that uh, gave some recommendations for you. I also say thanks, and uh, most of all, I say thanks to you, that listener who uh, fires up the show, whether you're in traffic or on a run or at the gym or puttering around your house. Uh, I, I'm glad to be the one of the people who can keep you company in those situations. I will close by saying that... Uh, uh, in my last episode, I told you I was leaving for Left Coast Crime 2020, which was in San Diego. I will tell you that San Diego uh, very quickly turned rainy, so uh, there's a bait and switch going on there from the postcards that I saw. 
but uh, it was great to see a, a bunch of people there that uh, I was really looking forward to seeing. I got to hang out with Bruce Robert Coffin and Joe Clifford and Holly West and James Latoyle, who will be on the show uh, here in a few weeks. And uh, it was a great time. Uh, my buddy Colin Conway and I hung out uh, most of the time, hit, hit some panels that first day. And then, of course, as uh, you may have heard, uh, on the at the end of the first day, they, they canceled the conference due to uh, due to the coronavirus outbreak. So I ended up flying home the next day. It was still pretty cool. Uh, while I was at Left Coast Crime, um, you know, I met a lot of people, got some time to hang out with some of them, uh, not nearly as much as I would have liked with the cancellation uh, happening on Thursday. Uh, but uh, I was uh, very pleasantly surprised by a couple of folks that uh, came up to me and mentioned this show and uh, the fact that they enjoyed it. Uh, so I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Craig Kingsman, uh, who caught me in the hallway, and Scott Kikawa, uh, who did the same. I uh, hope I'm not butchering your last name, Scott. Uh, both authors in their own right and uh, both listeners to the show. Uh, it does bring up a, a, a good point uh, when you do a podcast, you're a little bit isolated uh, outside of the guests that you talk to. And uh, feedback is, uh, you know, in the form of downloads and the occasional review. Uh, so I will say uh, it was very gratifying to have uh, personal contact and have somebody say that they enjoyed the show. If you enjoy the show, uh, you don't necessarily have to reach out to me, but do me a favor and check out the authors that uh, do come on the show. Uh, give their work uh, a, a chance. Uh, many, like myself, have their first book for free or very cheap. Uh, and certainly you could get it from the library and try it out. Uh, and then if you dig them, uh, follow their work uh, and, uh, you know, share it with other people. Uh, next episode, Warn More. Keep yourself healthy, folks. And uh, remember that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.